2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has a history. Like bingo, parsley and halitosis. (laughs)
3: Oh, Sam, I so want to do the history of halitosis. I'm sure there is, I'm sure there, there is a rich and pungent history there. Or, shoes, blues and cruise, screws, muse and peruse. You see, the history of perusal is all about the history of reading, which takes me on a journey to a Christmas tradition that I am going to institute, uh Shea Daybell, this Christmas. We've talked about this in the past. This is the Icelandic um tradition of uh, which is basically giving gifts of books for Christmas. And I have managed... I've totally geeked out this year on the book front, and I have managed to persuade my entire family to indulge me in this tradition or starting this tradition of having of exchanging books on Christmas Eve and then spending time reading them although when I talked to my daughters about this uh, they said we actually don't mind having the books daddy uh, but we don't want to be forced to read on Christmas <laughs> <Eve>. <laughs> we, we want to watch elf instead yeah. and eat chocolates <laughs> so but anyway that will be happening in the Daybell family this Christmas I've even extended it to my extended family this year. Um, However, this is to monstrously digress, as always, full of the Christmas spirit as I am, because we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of losers is all about Donald Trump and the 2020 US presidential election, he still hasn't conceded. It's about democracy, Jim Carrey, and Ace Ventura pet detective. It's about memorialization and World War II and cemeteries. It's about George Bush, John McCain, etiquette in defeat, Homer's Iliad, Charles Dickens, workhouses and Oliver Twist. We could go on. It's also about the surrender of Yorktown. Or that the history of cannibalism, Um, and this was one that we did, a little micro-history that we did recently, is all about the Tudors. It's about Shakespearean theatre, it's about travel narratives, it's about Tudor medicine literally eating mummy flesh. It's also about shipwrecks and not starving. And it's about Jonathan Swift's satirical suggestion in his modest proposal that the economic problems of the early 18th century in Ireland could be solved by simply eating babies. (laughs) It's a bit of a mouthful there. I mean, not the babies, a bit of a mouthful. I mean, a bit of a sort of long um, who knew this week.
2: (laughs) Very good. Um, I suspect everyone's wondering who who is doing this speaking. Let me just say that If history itself was an 18th century genius composer in need of companionship, and it was not indeed just any 18th century composer in need of companionship, but a young Wolfgang Mozart struggling with his gifts in a world of the seemingly ungifted, this man would be his Joseph Haydn, a friend so fast solid and true that he would mentor the past through its tricky adolescence and encourage it to free its wings and embrace the passing of time, seeing it as inevitable as the rising of an arpeggio in the silence of the dawn of the present. He is the truest of all friends of history. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Davell. <laughs> oh, Sam, that's a
3: lovely introduction. Do you know that mention of Mozart makes me think about Beethoven? Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm doing a Christmas lecture with a brilliant colleague of mine, uh, Bob Taub, who's a world-class concert pianist. And we had a meeting yesterday to discuss what we were going to talk about. And he told me then and there that Beethoven had no friends. He was a complete loner. Um, So completely the opposite of Haydn uh, and Mozart, Fre- interesting. Haydn and Mozart. However, uh, the man not sitting opposite me, because we are social distancing in these grim days of lockdown too in the UK. Well, let's just say, if he were a historical friend, he'd be the Joey to my Chandler, the John Adams to my Thomas Jefferson, the Frodo to my <laughs> Sam Gamgee, the Ron Weasley no. to my Harry Potter. Yes, you've guessed it. It's the famous historical adventurer, and my friend... Dr. Sam Willis.
2: Hello, everyone. Um, That was a cracking introduction. I think it's taken most of 15 minutes. It's brilliant.
3: I'm sorry, people. We'll get
2: to the history soon. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing the history of friendship. Uh, it's something we tried to do last year but we lost the recording somehow um and we're delighted to have done it again it's actually a chapter we we wrote a chapter on friendship in our history of the vikings um but today we're going to be talking about all sorts of non viking stuff so if you want to um find out about the vikings do please get our book on that so james friendship this was definitely one of your ideas wasn't it yeah well i've been interested in the history of friendship for a long
3: time i'm a sociocultural historian of the long early modern period so from sort of 15th century through to the 18th century and the kinds of relationships that people have in with people who aren't family members you know have, have been things that have really interested me in terms of not only in terms of social relationships and the definitions of friendship and meaning of friendship and how that's changed over time but also the way in which that bleeds into the political sphere and the language of friendship is really soaked through um the the early modern period it makes me think of that that um quote in the in the godfather where it's um keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer so this idea about you know the sort of political freightedness of friends but if we think about what defines friendship I think that's somewhere where we might start that it's friends are people who are not you know not blood relations they aren't um, people that you are related to by by marriage so those are family relationships they're friendship they're relationships that you build up with other kinds of people and what historians and scholars sociologists anthropologists philosophers are interested in is the nature of that relationship the strength of those bonds why you might become attached to people uh is it because you know they are useful to you so you're sort of empty friends or is it that you you know that there are sort of forms of affection or You know, that, that, or love, even love and, and sort of compassion or forgiveness, generosity or whatever, loyalty, trust, all of those sort of, you know, really sort of honorable parts of friendship, I think that we could unpack. So I'm interested in the nature of friendship over time. I'm also interested in how we find evidence of friendship. How do you find evidence of those relationships, whether it be in written? text so ego documents such as diaries expressing friendship or letters between friends or whether it's sort of material artifacts so friendship rings friendship bracelets gifts given to friends you know that kind of thing so that's a sort of little sort of entree into into the history of friendship for me and there are lots of lots of people have written about friendship over time um you know you think about um Cicero's uh, famous work uh, De Amitica which is Of Friends or Francis Bacon's Essays on Friendship. We talked about uh, one of those essays in our podcast episode on followers uh, and he's got a little essay on friends and followers but then he's actually got a much longer essay on Of, called, of Friendship where he really looks at the political side of friends and as a politician himself Francis Bacon uh, was Lord Chancellor in the early seventeenth century um This is somebody who's deeply concerned with the inner workings of the political scene uh and in particular um the degree to which rulers can trust people so there's this there's this sort of this longing for a deep intimate um sort of counsellor friend that you can trust will give you good advice, but also there are grave sort of warnings about people not being um about people not being uh, sort of faithful and not you not being able to trust them and basically them taking complete advantage of you uh so that that's something that i i think is is quite interesting as well and then all the different sort of manifestations where we find friendship friendships in 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 childhood there's an interesting history around that um how do how do friendships progress over time? One of the things I want to talk about is friendships and war, uh, in particular uh, World War I uh, and PALS battalions. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and male friendships, you know, the idea of male bonding. The sort of, you know, I, I sort of in tongue-in-cheek talked about... Um, chandler uh, and joey from uh the famous uh situation comedy friends uh which my 10 year old has just watched uh entirely uh from series one all the way to series whatever it is uh, 11 uh twice um <laughs> but you know there's something there's something about the bromance there and you know and and male friendships and their 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 history and their relationship to sexuality as well I think is 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 really interesting, as well as you know strong female friendships um, throughout time. so there a little sort of little sketch, a little road map of what we might look at. Sam.
2: lots of exciting things coming up. Well, I started this I, I thought how, 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 how am I going to go about this? And as always, I like to be inspired by things in my kind of immediate locality really and um, when my kids left school uh they went through this kind of ritual of having all of the people in their year sign their shirts so um uh we've got, we've got these wonderful things which we've kept which have been you know got scribbles on and messages and drawings all all over the shirt by their mates um or or you know also possibly by the people they didn't like as well but everyone came together at the end of the school year um having been been at school for that period of time and signed their shirts and i thought it was a fantastic um a fantastic thing um a a physical manifestation of friendship but linked with signatures and drawings and doodles james which is why i think you would like it love it very much um where each kind of scribble or drawing was intended as a gift and i decided to look a little into the history of this and um it's got a wonderful history and it kind of manifests itself in something called friendship albums you know anything about friendship albums no but i'm, I'm looking forward to listening to you talking about them ah brilliant so uh I came across a couple of great examples in the collections of the British Library. Um, now, these this is kind of from the mid-16th century, 1500s. So you've got German and Dutch-speaking students would often embark on a kind of tour of European cities to complete their studies So, at the end of all of their – like a gap year. At the end of their work, they'd, off go, they'd go off touring. And they'd made mementos of their travels, um, basically like personalised albums – Um, Some were very rough, some were very ornate indeed. And a lot of them um, involved intricate paintings in pen and ink and watercolour. Some contained signatures, mottos, dedications, all from the people that they met on their travels. A couple have um, very high-ranking notes from diplomats as well as artists, professors, physicians. Um, they were known in Latin as album amicorum, in German as Stambuca, which I think is interesting because Stam means tribe in German, and this idea of tribe, tribalness, so important to friendship throughout history. Um, the point about them, of course, was is that it's a they were created for an audience. So yes, they're created for your own personal enjoyment to look back at it and enjoy and remember where you've been. But they were also created to present to people to demonstrate the owner was a cosmopolitan, well-travelled, well-educated person who had a wide-ranging group of contacts and and a corresponding wide-ranging knowledge. It's why they're such fantastic things. Um, The ones in the British Library are particularly beautiful. They're filled with specially commissioned paintings um, and the the the, the traveller would often pay a local artist to draw something on their behalf. Um, so this is the uh, 16th, early 17th century. But as it goes through to the 19th century, it much it, it broadens much more. Um, so in the 16th century, you've just got these these well-educated, wealthy people doing it, making these friendship albums. But in the 19th century, it becomes a much broader thing. And you've got many, many different hands all scribbling on um, single pages. They're often to do with remembrance. They're often to do with capturing particular communities, like when I was saying with my kids at school, um, recording affectionate ties. The the link with communities is interesting. There's lots of stuff to do with uh, churches, to do with schools, to do with universities. Clubs uh in particular um, they so, so this as a phenomenon they sit in between uh a much older tradition of a commonplace book, so you've got individuals writing down gems of wisdom ideas that they come across in their readings and their education, so it sits between that and a much later phenomenon of a of a like an autograph album. Um, or a collection of signatures where people say, oh, I've met this person. So there's somewhere in between, a bit a mixture of kind of the ideas and the wisdom of the people they meet, as well as proof that they'd met those, those people. Um, they're fascinating. So some of them are created in a single event, like my kids leaving school. They were created in half an hour after lunch on the last day. Others created over time. So you can see history passing through the book as the leaves passed. Um, so... You know, a, a longer term project as opposed to a specific thing which has been created to memorialise a particular event like a marriage, a move, a birthday, some kind of accomplishment, um, just like leaving school. So there's a huge variety of these. The one I was going to talk briefly about is the is one of these ones I found in the British Library by a chap called Moises Valens. He's a young man from the German city of Cologne, um, and he makes his, between 1605 and 1615, he records uh, meetings with people, there are sketches of unfamiliar scenery, everything that he thought was exotic. And just to be able to describe some of these leaves is, is wonderful. So we've got an image of travelling players and musicians, masked and exotically dressed. They're emerging from behind a curtain into a great hall, so he's he's, uh, he's obviously been to see some kind of a show there are masked male and female figures, uh, part of a travelling troupe of players. Um, this is uh, guessed to have been something to do with a, a bawdy carnival in Venice, something that happened right, actually right across Italy, but it was known that Moses uh, passed through Venice at the right time. Um, there is an image of a Venetian gondolier transporting two women and a man, all in beautiful imagery. So you can see uh, what they're wearing. You can see how their, what their body language is like as well as the, um, the the whole scenery that these people have been put in. They're a pair of lovers put, put in a formal... Um, ornate, beautiful garden. There's a blindfolded man um, being led into a bedroom by a courtesan or a prostitute. There's a, a just a young woman of Venice. There's a fiddle player and a lute player. So a huge variety of people that this guy met in Venice. They really bring the past alive and they, they blow your mind. They were actually created um, as, as as long ago as 1605. They're wonderful things. So um, do get in touch, everyone, on Twitter or something if you've if you've made friendship albums of a particular type or that this whole idea of a friendship album transports you back to a particular period in your life. Or if you've got school shirts or school
3: jumpers that have been signed. uh, My my girls have have those as well. And I I remember having my own school shirt signed. Hmm. Uh, I no longer have it. And it also makes me think of our round robins at the end of our show. So at the end of our show, we get the audience uh, to sign a large piece of paper uh, to which I suppose these are friends of the show who are signing the round robins uh, to show that they've been there now, I want to go in a in a slightly different direction and um but staying with sort of manuscripts, I think um because I'm interested in where we find uh testaments of friendship where we find sort of expressions of friendship uh, and i'm going to talk a little bit about uh autobiography uh and a little bit about letters and one of the most touching uh, examples of friendships expressed in on a page uh, is actually from a volume of Stephen Fry's autobiography. Stephen Fry, uh, not satisfied with one mere volume uh, of his life, has already written three, and I'm sure that there will be more. Uh, he's something of a hero of mine, uh, so I, I read them all the time, reread them all the time. But in his... in the Fry Chronicles he describes his friendship with Hugh Laurie uh, and this is the bit in his life where he describes uh, his time at Cambridge and he meets all the sort of famous Footlight people that you'd that you'd think of he he describes his you know meeting Rowan Atkinson who's slightly older than him but also Emma Thompson and all that crowd and he describes uh, meeting Hugh Laurie and then what his friendship means to him Uh, he, he, He writes, five minutes later, Hugh and I were writing a scene together as if we'd been doing it all our lives. You read about people falling suddenly in love, about romantic thunderbolts that go with clashing cymbals, high quivering strings and resounding chords, and you read about eyes that meet across the room to the thudding twang of Cupid's bow. But it is less often that you read about collaborative love at first sight, about people who instantly discover that they were born to work together or born to be natural and perfect friends. The moment Hugh Laurie and I started to exchange ideas, it was starkly and most wonderfully clear that we shared absolutely the same sense of what was funny and the same scruples, tastes and sensitivities as to what we found derivative, cheap, obvious or stylistically unacceptable – Which is not to say that we were similar. If the world is full of plugs looking for sockets and sockets looking for plugs, as roughly speaking the platonic allegory of love suggests, then there is no doubt we did see each to possess precisely the qualities and deficiencies the others most lacked. Hugh had music where I had none. He had an ability to be likeable, daft and clownish. He moved, tumbled and leapt like an athlete. He had authority, presence and dignity. I had, hang on, what did I have? Patter and fluency, I suppose, verbal dexterity, learning, Hugh always said that I also added what he called gravitas to the proceedings. Although he had great authority himself on stage, I suppose I had the edge on playing older authority figures. I wrote too, I mean I actually physically wrote lines down with a pen and paper or typewriter. Hugh kept the phrases and shapes of the monologues and songs he was working on in his head and only wrote them down or dictated them when a script was needed for stage management or administrative purposes.
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Hugh was determined that the footlight should look grown up but never pleased with itself or, God forbid, cool. And so it goes on and sort of uh, actually saying that he never had any sexual attraction uh, towards him. Um, he said otherwise the relationship would have been dead so it's a really sort of touching um, really touching description of uh, I suppose friendship at first sight you know knowing that you are the perfect fit and there are people in uh, there are friends of mine uh, that I've had not wanting to 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 embarrass anyone Um, but there are people that I've met where I've known absolutely instantly uh, that we would be really good friends or on occasion wanted to be really good friends and then never actually actually sort of gone on to be good friends um but but I I know I know what I like in friends um but then I want to turn from autobiography to to letters as a site of a friendship and there is a brilliant book that we've used in the past um letters of note there are several volumes of this And leafing through this, I was I came across several sort of really interesting letters that discussed friendship. Um, And one of them is from 1775. It's as the American Revolutionary War is beginning. And it's a letter that doesn't necessarily express friendship as enmity. So it's the way in which the it's about the end of a friendship. And it's a letter penned by Benjamin Franklin um who writes to a british member of parliament uh, called william strahan and they've been friends for about 30 years and he franklin signs off his letter in a really angry way and it's a very simp- it's a very very simple and short letter but it shows the way in which friendship can be terminated mr strahan you are a member of parliament and one of that majority which has doomed my country to destruction. You have begun to burn our towns and murder our people. Look upon your hands. They are stained with the blood of your relations. You and I were long friends. You are now my enemy. And I am yours, B. Franklin. A really sort of angry, short, curt, to-the-point letter. A friend turned enemy. Now the next one, it, I I read this uh, about twelve thirty last night, as a, which tends to be at the moment when I'm doing research for these things. I'm sort of fitting it in around other things, so I tend to work uh, very late at night, the into the night, the the day before we record it. Uh, but I read this and almost wept, and I think we often the relationship between friendship and love is often intertwined, and I think. Yeah, I think married couples can often be best friends, and I think this is a, a beautiful, but just just painful letter, um, which I, I which I just wanted to include, and it's a letter from a a famous physician uh, called Richard Feynman uh, to his wife, uh, his wife Arlene, who uh, in June 1945 died of TB. And he writes a letter to her about a year and a half later and he seals up the letter and it isn't opened up for 43 years until after his death and it's opened up. And it reads, Darlene, I adore you, sweetheart. I know how much you like to hear that, but I don't only write it because you like it. I write it because it makes me warm all over inside to write to you. It is such a terribly long time since I last wrote to you, almost two years, but I know you'll excuse me because you understand how I am stubborn and realistic and I thought there was no sense to writing. But now I know, my darling wife, that it is right to do what I have delayed in doing and that I have done so much in the past. I want to tell you I love you. I want to love you. I always will love you. I find it hard to understand in my mind what it means to love you after you are dead. But I still want to comfort and take care of you. And I want you to love me and care for me. I want to have problems to discuss with you. I want to do little projects with you. I never thought until just now that we can do that. What should we do? We started to learn to make clothes together or learn Chinese or getting a movie projector. Can't I do something now? No. I am alone without you, and you were the idea-woman and general instigator of all our wild adventures. When you were sick you worried because you could not give me something that you wanted to and thought I needed. You needn't have worried. Just as I told you then there was no real need because I loved you in so many ways so much, and now it is clearly even more true. You can give me nothing now, yet I love you so, that you stand in my way of loving anyone else, but I want you to stand there. You, dead, are so much better than anyone else alive. I know you will assure me that I am foolish and that you want me to have full happiness and don't want to be in my way. I'll bet you are surprised that I don't even have a girlfriend except you, sweetheart, after two years. But you can't help it, darling, nor can I, I don't understand it for i've met many girls and very nice ones and i don't want to remain alone but in two or three meetings they all seem ashes you only are left to me you are real my darling wife i adore you i love my wife my wife is dead rich p.s please excuse my not mailing this but i don't know your new address that is just such a tender <laughs> tender letter wow. i'm sort of i'm just i i explain i i told my, uh, my own wife about this uh this morning uh and read it to her and it was yeah very very touching now one final one uh is a letter from 1936 and this is from uh the famous um landscape photographer ansel adams and it's written to his best friend cedric right and again it's from this this brilliant book by brett usher uh letters of note and adams has had a, a sort of period of, of breakdown and he's writing to his friend about having discovered love and what's lovely about it is the way in which he he talks about love and art and friendship and it starts dear cedric a strange thing happened to me today I saw a big thundercloud move down over Half Dome, and it was so big and clear and brilliant that it made me see things that were drifting around inside me. Things that related to those who were loved and those who are real friends. For the first time, I know what love is, what friends are, and what art should be. Love is seeking for a way of life the way that cannot be followed alone, the resonance of all spiritual and physical things. Children are not only of flesh and blood. Children may be ideas, thoughts, emotions. The person of the one who is loved is a form composed of a myriad mirrors reflecting and illuminating the powers and thoughts and the emotions that are within you and flashing another kind of light from within. No words or deeds may encompass it. Friendship is another form of love, more passive perhaps, but full of the transmitting and acceptance of things like thunderclouds and grass and the clean granite of reality. Art is both love and friendship and understanding, the desire to give. It is not charity, which is the giving of things. It is more than kindness, which is the giving of self. It is both the taking and giving of beauty the turning out to the light the inner folds of the awareness of the spirit. It is the recreation on another plane of the realities of the world, the tragic and wonderful realities of earth and men, and of all the interrelations of these. I wish the thundercloud had moved up over Tahoe and let loose on you. I could wish you nothing finer, Ansel. So, it's wanting to share that experience with his friend. So, I think we've got there a whole, you know, the really sort of emotional side of friendship. You know, the the description by Stephen Fry of his intimate, working, collaborative friendship with Hugh Laurie. We've got the we've got Franklin, you know, his friendship turning sour and and a friend moving into enemies we've then got the the loving relationship of a married couple who are friends and then we've got the sort of artistic relationship between Ansel Adams there sort of expressed in in just in poetic absolutely poetic terms so they they're quite modern examples they're 20th century examples but nonetheless i mean or or the the um the franklin one is 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 of course earlier it's uh, 18th century Um, And and that letters and and autobiographical writings. But nonetheless, if you are looking for if you're looking for examples of friendship, these kinds of uh, documents uh, would be where
2: one would find them. Wonderful, James. (coughs) Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Just just. I think we're just going to finish off this little episode. I've got a thought here about how you spend time with your friends and where you go because it's really important at the moment. We're in lockdown. It's, it's it's lockdown 2 is coming to an end, but we still can't properly go to the pubs. We still can't do the things that so many of us define as well, it's, it's something that we do with our friends. And um there's an a huge history to leisure time and to what what you might actually do with your friends how you might spend that time if you go back to the um 17th century before then the 18th century obviously people have far fewer holidays than they do now they have far li- less time free and um, Sundays was pretty much the only day they had off it was a day of rest and that's very different to um the type of leisure time that we explore now. Yes, you might also have Christmas Day, Easter Sunday, these kind of religious festivals off, but it's only an occasional day every year. By 1850, things have dramatically changed as working conditions uh, have altered. Um, Bank holidays are introduced in 1871. And it's in this period in the mid-19th century that you have the introduction of things like... um, well, the real growth in theatres and and music halls in particular it's a really type of cheap theatre where people can go the first one opened in London in 1851 um pubs as well if you think that there are lots of pubs now very sadly a couple have gone down uh, gone bust near me um since covid and they were uh, very wonderful little bars it's a real shame but um In the 19th century, one in London, one house in every 77 houses was a pub, which is an amazing statistics. In parts of Newcastle, big drinkers up there, guys, there was one pub for every 22 families. So I just wanted to to at least raise the point here that how you spend time with your friends has a a, a really interesting history. I've become interested in cycling in the last few years, done a a great deal with um, Bike Odyssey, um, I've actually I kind of led a couple, uh, led a tour out there to um, cycling from Venice to Dubrovnik, which was amazing. But cycling clubs have their own history. There's a very interesting history of one in New Zealand, the Atalanta Cycling Club. It was established in August 1892. It was the first, the earliest women's cycling club in Australasia. Um, it was particularly in New Zealand, but in Australasia, sort of more broadly conceived. Uh, that, it's It's got a fascinating history, this, because that that was uh, brought together in the 1890s, but people had been cycling um, for at least 25 years by then. Um, but it took that long for the uh, women to get together and to form a club. And they met so much hostility that a lot of them had to, had to have um, men and other women on the roadsides to to stop people throwing stones at them. I thought it was, a, it was a, an extraordinary uh, history there, and particular aggression was was aimed at the dress that women were wearing, and they had to wear uh, traditional uh, traditional dresses rather than um, split skirts or shorts. Nonetheless, uh, these women got together and made a a cycling group and um, enjoyed finally some being able to exercise together as a group of friends. So that was in, in New Zealand in the 1890s. Really interesting, interesting history there. So when you just go out with your friends, don't just do it. Have a think about it. Have a think about the fact that it's got a history and that uh, it was not always the same as it is today. There's no better time to think about that with lockdown, with the rules constantly changing. So there you are. That's a wonderful introduction to the history of friendship, James. And I think it lays the foundation for some... Um, for further exploration we will come back as we have been doing recently uh, to explore the second side of the history of friendship Uh, we'll just say now that as a balance to these longer episodes james and i have started doing some micro histories which are really good fun we did one on cannibalism uh, where we only have to talk for five minutes each uh, to make an episode no longer than 15 minutes which has been great fun and we've got many more coming up on that we're doing one on tattoos on friday Uh, do please follow me on twitter i'm at dr sam willis if you're in Interested in maritime and naval history, do please check out my new podcast called the Mariners Mirror Podcast.
3: And you can follow me at James Daybell, and you can follow the podcast at Unexpected Pod. You can also have a look at everything we've been doing on our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, where you can see we, we're signing books for Christmas, aren't we, Sam? Uh, yeah. A range of little books uh, that's stocking sized and also larger books
2: for Under the Tree. Um, That's it, guys. um, uh, We'll be back soon with some more histories of the unexpected fun. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.